All right, good morning and Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to the world and words of the prophet Jeremiah. Thank you so very much for joining us. This is class number two in our new study. Before I get started this morning, I wanted to make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, I did hear that there's some competition between a live stream about the world and words of Jeremiah the prophet and some, I don't know, soccer game or something. Maybe something's going on. I'm going to ask you to stay focused today. Turn the TV off. They'll have highlights of these games. It's a silly game. This is the world and words of Jeremiah the prophet. So I hope that you're ready. I did want to say also that we are making some technological improvements here at United Israel, and hopefully that will be evident not only today in the class, but as we go forward. It appears that my son Seth is a tech guru, and uh, I didn't realize how good he was. Uh, There are some things that we needed to get as far as equipment that aren't in place yet, but he did add some what we would call bells and whistles. I hope you'll be excited to see what I have for you today. Now, I will tell you that I have the ability to pull things on the screen now, but we're going slowly with it. I only have a couple of things that I'm going to show you today, but over the course of the weeks, we'll make more and more improvements to step up our game at United Israel, both audio and video-wise. I did announce the other day that I want to buy uh, some new equipment. Uh, our, Our current iMac is running and it's doing okay. The fan was making some noise. I got a little bit nervous and I did ask people to help us uh, because I do want to look at getting new equipment. And so thank you to those of you who have helped with that. Uh, But I'm, I'm looking presently at getting the best deal that I can because I do feel like I have to be a good steward of such things. So I don't want to just jump out and get something and not get the right thing. But now that my son Seth is helping me, I'm uh, borrowing from his knowledge and uh, so forth. So stay tuned for that. So again, welcome to the world and words of the prophet Jeremiah. Last week we had our introductory class. We talked about the fact that Jeremiah and his father Hilkiah are priests from a place called Anatot, Anatot. And I talked about the fact that this priesthood that was uh, situated at Anatot, you know, it wasn't like uh, that was an unknown place. In fact, it's a priestly city, a Levitical city. And the priesthood, the, the branch of the priesthood that was at Anatot had been banished there back in the days of Solomon. So uh, we started off with that. Now, what I also mentioned is that we know more about the person of Jeremiah than just about any other biblical figure. We know that because we get a lot of first-person material. We get details about the life and times of Jeremiah in that first-person material that we just simply don't get about any other figure. You name the figure. We don't get as much about them as we get about Jeremiah. So in fact, this week, when I began to study and decide what I was going to bring to you today, one of the first things that I started with was the birth of Jeremiah. 
You know, if we're going to talk about Jeremiah, we know where he's from. We know who his father is. We know where he, uh, we know that he comes from Anatot. But what do we know? And there is this interesting passage in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. Now, this comes in the form of a lament. Jeremiah is so well known for the laments that he puts forward in the book attributed to him that there's actually a literary device known as a Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is a literary device uh, usually in prose, but it, it has come to be associated with these lamenting type uh, passages that we find in Jeremiah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14 through 18, that's one of those. It's a lament, and Jeremiah's talking about his birth, and what he says is that, uh, that the news, when the news came to his father that a boy child had been born, it brought his father great joy. Now, in the context, Jeremiah is saying, I wish that news had never come. In other words, he, he wished that he had never even been born. His, his life was such a tragedy. He has one of the most difficult times in history to be commissioned as a prophet. He has to bring in the, most, uh, the worst news ever. It's not so dissimilar to other prophets, but in the fact of Jeremiah... Jeremiah has to oversee the total destruction of Israel, of Jerusalem, and of his people, and everything that the Bible says would come to the, He watches all of it literally go up in smoke. But I want to take you back even further than the birth of Jeremiah, because you say, well, how much further can we go than the birth of Jeremiah? If we're talking about Jeremiah, well, Jeremiah begins the very first word of the Lord, the first word of Jehovah that comes to Jeremiah according to the text. Remember, we're sticking with the text. We're going to trust the text to get as close as we can to the historical, authentic message of Jeremiah of Anatot. And when that first word comes to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, we learn according to this passage that Jeremiah and his role, the mission of Jeremiah and the person of Jeremiah, according to the first word of Jehovah that comes to him, is, as God puts it, selected even before he was born. It says... In Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came forth from the womb, I sanctified you. And it says, and God continues in the same prophetic word, he says, I gave you, or I put you, Natan is the root word, I gave you, Navi Lagoim, a prophet to or for the nations. Notice it's plural. Navi Lagoim, 
I gave you, before you were born, before you came forth from the womb, I chose you as a Navi Lagoim, a prophet to or for the nations. Now, what I want to point out just in passing, I'm going to come back to this. We're going to take this subject and we're going to go much, much deeper later in this series, but I want you to understand something. The language of Jeremiah's selection, not only does it remind me and connect the person of Jeremiah to the prophet Moses, but it also connects Jeremiah to what Isaiah refers to as the servant. Very similar language between Jeremiah's selection by God and what Deutero-Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, refers to as the servant. Some of you are thinking about the servant, the suffering servant, the servant songs that begin in Isaiah, uh, in 2nd in Isaiah, beginning in, in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. There are these several songs that show up. They're called the servant songs. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to show the connectedness between Jeremiah of Anatot and Isaiah's servant. Now, whenever we talk about before birth, before birth, that's a little bit broad. In other words, how early or how long before Jeremiah is born does God select Jeremiah? We, we don't get that information. We don't, it doesn't say before the foundations of the world. None of that, but we have to wonder how far, how long before Jeremiah's birth was Jeremiah's role selected? Do we get any insight into that? We're going to talk about that. And then the next question is, how long is it from this selection, if we can determine a a beginning point, until the plan comes to fruition? Now, what do I mean by the plan coming to fruition? Whenever God calls Jeremiah, according to the text, how long is it and how early in the process? And do we know a date for when Jeremiah is called to be a prophet? Do we know a date when the word of the Lord first comes to Jeremiah? When does Jeremiah of Anatot assume the duty, Navi Lagoim, is the question. Now, for that, I want you to go with me this morning. First thing, we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, and I want to read the superscription. I want to read the introduction. We're going to have to do this quite a few times to make some points over the course of this study, but this is the way it begins. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest who were in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of Jehovah came in the days of Yoshiahu, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Sidkiahu, the son of Yoshiahu, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Again, this is a narrator telling us what is to follow. 
It gives us a context, historical context. It puts a date on this, and it gives us a time frame in which Navi Legoyim, Jeremiah of Anatot, is functioning in that capacity. So we understand that from uh, Josiah, if the word of Jehovah first comes to Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest of Anatot, comes to him the very first time at a very specific time, the 13th year of the reign of Josiah ben Amon. Josiah ben Amon, the 13th year of his reign. So Josiah will have been a king for 13 years when the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah functions as a prophet from that point, which we would call a terminus a quo, the point of origin. From the terminus a quo, uh, the 13th year of Jeremiah of Josiah's reign, all the way through the next, what I'm about to describe, through the days of Jehoiakim, who is the son of Josiah, who is the king of Judah, until... So it goes all the way from the 13th year of Josiah's reign through the, the reign of his son, Jehoiakim, and then through the reign of Sidkiyahu, the, the son of Josiah, until the removal of Jerusalem is what the, the Hebrew actually says. So, uh, and then it gives us a terminus ad quim, we call it, the, the, uh, the point of the end, if you will. So from the 13th year of Josiah's reign up until the uh, removal of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem. So the prophetic career, let's get this in brackets. First thing we're going to do is bracket this. We're going to say that the, the, uh, the time of Jeremiah's working as a prophet is 40 years. 40 years. So write this down. It's from 627 slash 6, 626, 627, 626 BCE, all the way until 587, 586 BCE. That's 40 years. Now we're told again that the word of Jehovah first comes to Jeremiah in the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. Now, I have to give you a little bit of a background. I want to take you back. Remember, let's say we're in 627 BCE. I want to go back about 300 years. I want to go back to 928 BCE. 928 BCE. I have to because otherwise this is just a regular Bible class, but I want you to actually learn the Bible. So we're going to go back 300 years, and I'm going to tell you that at the death of Shlomo, King Solomon, the son of David, uh, when he died, there is uh, a division in the kingdom that takes place. Solomon's son, Rehavam, Rehoboam, assumes the Davidic dynasty. He becomes the king, and uh, you can read all about this in 1 Kings chapter 11. 
I'm not going to go into great detail about the rift, but ultimately what takes place is you have Rehoboam, the son of David, uh, the son of Solomon, the son of David, uh, becomes the ruler of the monarchy in Judah. And another man, an Ephraimite, by the name of, uh, by the name of Jeroboam, be, the son of Nebat, becomes over the northern tribes. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25 and following, we read about a major wrong turn that this northern tribes begin to do. Now, watch this. If you're watching on the screen now, and I assume that you are, how about that? I just pulled up a map. Now, you should be able to see this. And by the way, this is the map. Look at this. This is the map that I'll be offering uh, in the coming week. I have to do a few more things to prepare these for shipment. But I want you to get these maps because I'm going to be referring to them throughout my teachings. But this is sort of a, a total view of it. But I had Seth design it where I can zoom in just a little bit. So the first thing I want to point out is that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25 and following, um, we find out that Jeroboam is a naughty boy. What Jeroboam does is he sets up idolatrous sites of worship at Dan in the north in the land of Naphtali and Bethel. Now, if you're looking at your map, just so you can kind of find these, or if you're looking at the map on the screen, some of you are saying, we don't have the map yet, Ross. Okay, well, look at the screen. Squint, get closer. Uh, Because what I want you to understand is that in E2, block E2, you'll notice along the top and the bottom of this map, there are letters which form part of the grid. So you'll go to E2, and that's where Dan is. So Jeroboam sets up an idolatrous site at Dan. And then if you look down to D6, D6, you'll see Bethel, Dan and Bethel. And he sets up these uh, idolatrous sites of worship. So uh, what I want to do is I want to read for you this morning. Go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 Kings 12, And I want you to begin in verse 32. Uh, Jeroboam also instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast that is in Judah. And he went up to the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made, Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, the month that he had devised in his own heart, and he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. And by the way, if you can't tell from the context, this is bad. This is a a big, big, big problem. Chapter 13, verse 1, 1 Kings. Now behold, a man of God from Judah uh, came from Judah to Bethel by the word of Jehovah, while Jeroboam was standing at the altar to burn incense, and he cried out against the altar by the word of Jehovah, and he said, Altar, altar, this is what Jehovah says. 
Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall burn on you. Then he gave a sign on the same day, saying, This is a sign which Jehovah has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn to pieces, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. The king hears this statement. It goes on, and he, he cries out when, when, he, when he hears this man of God cry out. Jeroboam stretches out his hand. He goes, seize him, the prophet, right? And what happens? His hand that he stretched out towards him shrivels up, and he couldn't draw it back. Now, the interesting thing about this passage. Now, some who are more minimalist would say, I'm not sure I even believe that happened. Stick with me on the text. Because what we're reading here is, we're reading the way the Bible presents something very, very important. The writers want us to understand And by the way, some uh, legends suggest that Kings is written by Jeremiah. So it's interesting to consider that. I know the Talmud says that in Baba Batra. There are other traditions which suggest that Kings is written by Jeremiah and or Baruch bin Neriah, which we're going to become intimate with. I love Baruch. I love our Baruch. I love the ancient Baruch. But here's what happens. What I want you to understand is that 300 years before the time that we are studying, roughly 920s BCE, 300 years, uh, there's a prediction that a son of David will be born, and this son of David is going to destroy these idolatrous places. By the way, If you go on the Tanakh tours with Jonah and I, we're going to bring you to Dan and Betel. You're going to go to these places. So the idea is that 300 years before uh, Josiah's birth, there's a prediction. Now, what this means is that despite what other people think about this coming great Davidic ruler, there's only one, get this, There is only one redemptive figure, if you will, from the line of David who is predicted by name. People talk about a Davidic Messiah. What I want you to understand is that the one person who is predicted by name is Josiah. Josiah. Now, At the death, I'm going to bring us forward a little bit in time. At the death of Manasseh, the king of Judah, which is roughly 642 BCE, his 22-year-old son by the name of Ammon assumed the throne. Now, I, I, I would like to read every single passage that I reference, but some of this you're going to have to study yourself, but I'll give you the references. Uh, when Manasseh dies, uh, roughly 642 BCE, his son Ammon assumes the throne, and that is told in 2 Kings 
21, 19 through 26. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 19 through 26. It's also told in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 21 through 25. Now, I've recommended this before. You need to get this book. You need this book in your library if you care about studying the Bible, right? So have I pitched it hard enough? It's called A Synoptic Harmony of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles with related passages from Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezra. Now, some of you already have this because I've recommended it about a thousand times. If you haven't, you know, ask for it for Hanukkah or whatever. Uh, But this is really good because it shows you harmonistically what the writer of Kings says side by side, horizontally reading comparing Kings to Chronicles, etc. Now, what you're going to find is that quite often these passages do not agree in all aspects. They differ on many details. We're going to see some of that. We're going to see a lot of that over the course of this study. Why is that? Because according to at least my understanding, Chronicles is often the cleaned up official record of the monarchy. So quite often, Chronicles is going to clean things up a little bit. Hey, you know, the guy was kind of bad, but he he wasn't the worst, you know. So it's going to kind of, whereas Kings is like, this man was wicked as hell. And he'll tell you in Kings, just that straightforward. Chronicles is a little bit softer around the edges, I think. Uh, that's my assessment. I often compare it to uh, today, people have their favorite news source Uh, but often they're covering the same stories with totally different understandings of it. That's not something that just happened since uh, the 21st century. This is something that goes back to the biblical times. All right? Now, when we talk about Ammon, like his father Manasseh, per Kings and Chronicles, Ammon did what was evil In Jehovah's eyes, I am going to read you a bit of this, just so you see that our writers give us basically the same story. Now, I happen to have this book. If you've already bought it, turn to page 244. See how easy that is? Now, if you don't have it, you're going to be flipping back and forth. I'm going to start in 2 Kings 21, and I'm going to read verse 20 through 22. It's talking about Ammon. He's 22 years old. Uh, by the way, you know, I wasn't the sweetest kid at 21 either, so, but here it is. Some of you weren't either. Verse 20, and he did what was evil in the sight of Jehovah, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. He forsook Jehovah, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of Jehovah. Pretty bad testament, right? Now, Chronicles puts it this way. Very similar, but you can notice some differences. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, uh, Jehovah, as Manasseh's father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images, Kings doesn't have anything about this, that Manasseh's father had made and served them. Now, Uh, I want to read one more verse from Chronicles. 
And he did not humble himself before Jehovah as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. Uh, But this Ammon uh, incurred guilt more and more. Chronicles tells us that Manasseh at the end humbled himself. So like if you're reading through the story in Kings, we don't see anything about Manasseh ever turning back to God. Now, some people say, well, maybe he did. You don't know. Well, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And the kings, the writer of Kings goes through, doesn't tell us anything about this bedside repentance of Manasseh, but, but the writer of Chronicles wants us to think uh, that Manasseh had, in fact, at the end, turned himself to God. Now, what happens after this? 2 Kings 21, 23 Second Chronicles 31:24 tells us that uh, Ammon's servants conspired against him and killed him. They assassinate Ammon in his house. This, this is why I love this material. You get into these stories and you can imagine these, these things taking place. This is big. Like we just passed November 22nd and people talk about where were you when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? These events, just like this, where were you? Can you imagine in Jerusalem at the time, you know, 20 years after, where were you when Ammon was killed? See, I want you to understand these people are presented to us as historical figures and tragedy happens and this is one of them. So the people of the land... Uh, once Ammon is killed, they conspire, the, the people that had conspired against uh, Ammon, the people of the land get together and they kill the conspirators which slew Ammon. Now, why am I going into all this? Because it sets the stage for something very important. When Ammon is killed, and he only reigns a short time, his son is the next one in line for the monarchy. And his son, uh, this is about 640 BCE, his son is eight years old. His name is Yoshiau, Josiah. Josiah becomes king at eight years old. Now, his story is told in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. We're going to be in this material for a while, so just relax. You don't have to read all this, but it wouldn't hurt to read the time frame that we're dealing with. 2 Kings uh, 22, 23, 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Now, the writer of Kings tells us, Chronicles doesn't tell us this, the writer of Kings tells us a little bit more detail. It comes across to me that the writer of Kings is someone who's intimate, who knows details that the chronicler doesn't know. I believe Kings represents an earlier strata, particularly here. Now, you'll see, and I'll bring this up many, many times over the course, and I'll make my point How do I think that Kings represents an earlier strata of the development of the Hebrew Bible? You'll see that, promise you. 
but the, the writer of Kings tells us that Josiah's mother's name was Yedidiah. Yedidah, I'm sorry, the daughter of Adiah of Boskat. So we know Josiah's mother, who was married to Ammon, who was assassinated by conspirators. Uh, his mother's name is Yedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boskat. Now, Boskat is mentioned only one other time, and just because I love the details and I want you to get the details of the story. I want you to look at uh, where is this. So on the map, if you're looking at the map on the screen, this place called Bozkat is in, in the area. It's not listed on the map, but it's in the block, the grid C7. You notice it's right on the edge there uh, in C7. It's right on the edge there of the land of Judah. So uh, these boundaries are fairly close. Uh, but that's where this Boskat is. Now it's mentioned, the other time it's mentioned is in Joshua 15, verse 39. In Joshua 15, 39, Boskat is listed with Lachish and Eglon. Now we know where Lachish and Eglon is. These are uh, examples of some of the places, particularly Lachish. Uh, Jonah and I will often travel to some of these locations on the Tanakh tour. Now, so this map, C7, is where the mother is from. Now, the writers of Kings and Chronicles tell us that uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. We learn this right off the bat. And that he did what was right in Jehovah's eyes. He walked in the ways of David, and he did not turn to the right or to the left. And this language, uh, rarely do biblical writers have an opportunity to talk about a monarch in this way. Hezekiah is an example. We have a few godly kings, uh, but we're dealing with one king, at least according to the Deuteronomic writer, uh, that suggests that Josiah is the most righteous of all the kings, more righteous than David, more righteous than Hezekiah. Josiah is top. Now, uh, Chronicles has information, and I pointed this out a minute ago, uh, that is not mentioned by the writer of Kings. And at times, we're going to go back and forth because we're looking for uh, what can we discern from the text of the Bible. Sometimes we're going to have to look at Kings. Sometimes we're going to have to look at Chronicles because they don't always tell the same details. They have different uh, motives and I would even suggest that at times they have what we would call alternate, alternative facts. Sometimes the writer of Chronicles and the writer of Kings give different stories, but they represent the viewpoint of the writer, okay? Now, in this case, I want to draw your attention to Chronicles, 
I want to draw your attention to Chronicles because Chronicles, Second Chronicles, uh, chapter thirty-four, gives us this bit of information about Josiah that we don't get in Kings. Here it is, Second Chronicles thirty-four, verse three. For in the eighth year of his reign, talking about Josiah, while he was still a youth, in Hebrew that's Naar, Naar, he was still in his youth, uh, he began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the cast metal images. Interesting, interesting. You know, Kings doesn't tell us that. But let me emphasize something. The eighth year of his reign is, how old is the boy? He's a Na'ar. He's 16. It says the eighth year of his reign. He assumes the throne at eight years old. The eighth year, he's 16. So according to Chronicles, now Kings doesn't know anything about this. According to the writer of Kings, he doesn't get Religious, excuse my expression, he doesn't get religious until the 18th year of his reign when a scroll is discovered. We'll get to that, I promise you. But according to Chronicles, no, no, no. The boy's on the right track by the time he's 16. says that at 16 years old, while still a Na'ar, a young boy, he begins to seek the God of David, his father. Now, I have no reason to doubt this. I'm not suggesting it's not true. I'm just telling you there's a different account in Kings. So according to Chronicles, 16-year-old boy, he begins to feel this draw to the God of his father. Now that puts it at about 632 BCE. That's 16. Four years later, the 12th year of his reign. He's 20 years old now. And he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, graven and molten images. In other words, the writer of Chronicles tells us that what we are beginning to see is the fulfillment of what was predicted in 1 Kings 13. Oh, altar, altar, there's coming a child of David who will destroy these places. You see? First, uh, Second Chronicles says, and here, ladies and gentlemen, is the man, Josiah. And what's he doing? He's beginning to launch a religious reform. It's so far, it's four years in the making. It started in his eighth year, and it's begun in the, uh, by the time he hits the twelfth year of his reign, he's had four years of seeking God, and he begins to launch a religious reform. Then, and I can sip my coffee now, then we have a six-year gap. Six years. What What happens? Eighth, eighth year of his reign, he seeks God. Twelfth year of his reign, he begins to bash down idols. And you're going to leave me on the edge of my seat for six years? After the 12th year of his reign, where he begins this religious reform, 
We don't hear anything for six years. 2 Kings 22, verse 3, and 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8, pick up and say now in the 18th year of his reign. But here, in this six-year gap, is a vital part of the story. It's not like we don't have a source from which we can derive the events of this six-year gap. You're going to be surprised at how much we actually do have to fill in the missing years. You know, people talk about the missing years of this historical figure, the missing years. I want to know what happened in that six-year gap of Josiah. The most righteous king? I'm telling you, there ought to be chroniclers just sitting there, like writing down everything he does. You know, and he did this, and he did that, and he, you know, I want to know. There's no king that ever rose like him. Our textual key is a clue found only in Chronicles. Only in Chronicles, not Kings, only Chronicles, gives us the clue that is going to turn this lock and open up our understanding. This is why you have to read the Bible. You have to get into the text, and you ought to say, 12th year of Josiah, 12th year of Josiah. How do I know what, how about this? Josiah's 20, the year is 628. A purge of evil has been initiated. That's year 12. Do we have any other year, any other indicator as to what might go on in the missing years? How about this? I started the class off with it. In the 13th year, of Josiah's reign, a Na'ar, a young boy, a priest from Anatot, gets a word of Jehovah. So now you begin to see the picture. What I want you to understand is that, yes, we're reading Kings and Chronicles about the life and times of Josiah, and we have this gap after year 12. Well, Jeremiah happens to be right in the middle of that gap. He hears the word of Jehovah for the first time the year after we left off with Josiah's history in Kings and Chronicles. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to this again. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 2 says... To whom the word of Jehovah came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So now you see, this is why I had to go back and give you all that history, because this book begins right there. You have to plug it in, in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34, most of, not all, but most of, a big portion of the book of Jeremiah is going to fit right there. So five years before Jeremiah heard the word of Jehovah, five years before Jeremiah heard the word, Josiah was 16 and he had begun to seek the God of David, his father. And just one year, just one year before Jeremiah heard the word of Jehovah, 
a 20-year-old Josiah began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the graven and molten images. All of these actions set the stage for the entry into the world of the greatest prophet that ever walked the planet. Now, take a deep breath. We're just getting started. 23 years after. Now, you're going to wonder, why are you jumping 23 years? I'm going to take you 23 years after Jeremiah first hears the word of Jehovah. You'll see why momentarily. Jeremiah hears the word of Jehovah. Jeremiah. 23 years later, I'm going to take you to this point. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The word which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, now here's Jeremiah's words, 23 years after he's called. Here we go. From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of Jehovah has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. The year of this word in Jeremiah 25, verses 1 through 3. Now, remember, he's confirming the first occurrence of the word of Jehovah coming to him as the 13th year of Josiah. Now we are in 605 BCE. We are, this is four years after the death of Josiah, and it's the first year of a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. So I want you to get yourself in the map. Get on the calendar. Understand where we're at. Josiah he was, uh, uh, he was dead for four years. Nebuchadnezzar is rising up, first year of his reign. And Josiah, uh, Jeremiah, is, is talking to the people saying, I've been speaking to you the word of Jehovah for 23 years, and you won't listen. Now, here's something. By the way, here's something very interesting. Just to show you, the breadth and depth of the study that's before us. Chapter 25 of Jeremiah, where you are right now, is the chapter which is the seedbed for Daniel's great prophecy of 70 weeks. Look down at verse 11 of 25, Jeremiah. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares Jehovah for their wrongdoing in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. We're going to study this at great depth, but let me make a point. I want you to understand that in Jeremiah 25, he is predicting 
the downfall of Babylon, but he's he's saying it the the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, all of this plays in. Go with me to Daniel 9 quickly. This is not really in my notes, but who can do this and not uh, touch it? Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 1. Daniel 9, 1 says, In the first year of Daryavesh, the son of Ahakveros of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, get this, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of Jehovah to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, a lot of people love to jump into Daniel and, oh, the 70 years prophecy. Not many people know Jeremiah well enough to even touch that. You're going to do it. We're going to get to that point later in the study. But I want you to understand that when Jeremiah says in chapter 25 that that Babylon will be destroyed, he's, he's talking from the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and the fourth year of uh, King uh, uh, Jehoiakim. Now, and this is important to understand, the book of Jeremiah, underline the next few words, is not chronological. Is not chronological. If you pick up Jeremiah and you start in chapter 1 and you read 1 through 52, you're going to not get the right picture in your mind because it is mixed. Chronologically, we've got to sort that out. That's not a difficult thing, but it does require you to read carefully and understand the historical significance and where these other books play in. Now, I want you to go with me this morning to uh, now to Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, Jeremiah 36, why am I going there? Because we just read in Jeremiah 25 that it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim. The fourth year of Jehoiakim. Now, Jeremiah 36, verse 1, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Now, did you hear that? In the fourth year of Jehoiakim. We're in Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 25 is also the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So, chronologically, at least these two, and I'm going to show you many, 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 many more examples, these two go to the same time. See, you might have read 25 through 35 and put yourself in some other time, uh, but 25 and 36 go together. Same year. Okay? Listen to this. Uh, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from Jehovah, saying, all right, you ready? You ready? Take a scroll... And write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the nations. From the day I first spoke to you, from the days of Josiah even to this day. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to propose to you something very important. The year 
that Jeremiah is told by Jehovah to write his scroll is just been given to you. He says, I want you. When are, where, where are we, Lord? We're in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Can we put a date on it? Everybody say yes. We can put a date on when this event takes place. I can tell you, according to the text, when the book of Jeremiah was written to the day, to the, at least to the year, I can tell you who was king. I can give you a lot of information, and that's why we're going to chapter 36 this morning. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time here because you have to get this. The, this is what is so important to set the stage for everything that follows. It has been 23 years of the word of Jehovah coming to Jeremiah before he puts pen to paper to put together his scroll. 23 years, according to the text. Now, so, listen, again, I'm a scripturalist. I'm a scripturalist. I'm depending on the Bible to tell me what the Bible says. It's a novel idea. What we want to do is we want to read it. We want to take that, give that weight. Now, here's a literal translation, my translation of those words from Jehovah to Jeremiah. Take for yourself a Megillot Sefer, a roll of scroll. Megillat Sefer. And you shall write upon it all the words that I spoke to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah and unto this day. And it continues. Remember, we're in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Josiah has been dead for four years. He has been prophesying for 23 years. So now we're looking at what I would call Ur Jeremiah, the beginning, the first version. Call this the authorized version of Jeremiah. Edition number one is written in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. I want you to understand, we're talking about the original book of Jeremiah here. It contained, here's what it contained. What did it have, Ross? Well, it had everything that started with the days of Josiah through the days of Jehoiakim to the fourth year. Everybody follow? The original, I'm talking about the original Jeremiah. The original Jeremiah didn't have, please understand this, didn't have the fifth year of Jehoiakim until the carrying away into Babylon. Now, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. He wrote it at that time. Now, what else do we know about this original scroll? Let's keep going in Jeremiah 36, one of the most important chapters in all of biblical literature. Jeremiah 36, verse 3, perhaps the house of Judah, in other words, God is still speaking according to the text. He told him, do this, write your scroll. Why? Because verse 3, perhaps the house of Judah 
will listen to all the disaster which I plan to carry out against them so that every person will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their wrongdoings and their sin. Get this. Fourth year of Jehoiakim, he's saying, if, by the way, that means that Jeremiah's original scroll didn't have uh, what we now have in our Jeremiah, but there's still hope. You, Jeremiah, write the scroll and maybe, maybe they'll repent and I won't have to bring disaster on them. There's still hope. You see that? Okay. Um, then Jeremiah, verse 4, called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of Jehovah which he had spoken to him. So now we get insight into the making of scroll number one. Let's call this the original Jeremiah, not the one you have, not the one you have. Stick with me on this. Don't get scared uh, at the dictation. So Jeremiah is explaining, and the word of Jehovah came to me, saying, and, Jer- and, and Baruch ben Neriah is writing. He's probably right-handed like me. He's writing right to left. He's, he's writing, writing this and, and so forth. Okay, now... Um, At the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words which Jehovah had spoken to him. Verse 5, Jeremiah then commanded Baruch, saying, I am restricted. Now, why is he restricted? We're going to talk about that. He says, I'm restricted. I can't go into the house of Jehovah. Imagine, imagine a priest, a prophet is not allowed in the house of Jehovah. All the people who have this image of a smooth, running, godly Jerusalem and Judah, you just, let me just put it this way. That is not coming from a knowledge of the text. So he says, I can't go to the house of the Lord. So you go and read from the scroll which you have written at my dictation, the words of Jehovah to the people of the Lord uh, at the Lord's house on a day of fasting, and you shall also read them to all the people of Judah who come from their city. So he's saying, look, I want you to go and read this. And and then why? Verse 7, perhaps their pleading will come before Jehovah and everyone will turn from his evil way for great is the anger and the wrath that Jehovah has pronounced against this people. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, acted in accordance with all that Jeremiah, the prophet, commanded him, reading from the scroll the words of Jehovah in Jehovah's house. Now, how do you think that went? All right, let's, let's keep going. Now, in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before Jehovah. Now, I want you to, I want you to get something because I want you to know something. This is the ninth month when this took place, and I know the year. If you didn't know this, you're in the ninth month today on the Hebrew calendar. You're in the ninth month, and I know the year this took place. It was 2,626 years ago to this time that the events that I'm telling you took place. Verse 10, then when? Well, the fifth year of Jehoiakim. 
2,626 years ago. Then Baruch read to all the people from the book of the words of Jeremiah, or, or from the scroll, the words of Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gamaria, the son of Shaphan, the scribe. We'll get to know him better, both of them better. In the upper courtyard at the entry of the new gate of Jehovah's house. All right. Everybody follow me so far. So the original Safer, the original Josiah scroll, Jeremiah scroll, excuse me, the original scroll of Jeremiah was written in 604, uh, 605-4 BCE. It's written by Baruch ben Neriah. It was comprised, uh, composed 23 years after the word first came to Jeremiah, and it covered everything from the the first prophecies, the first words of Jehovah to Jeremiah, up until the fourth year of Jehoiakim. That's all it had in it. Ladies and gentlemen, my question is, what happened to that scroll? You think you have it? Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Now, when Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard all the words of Jehovah from the book, he went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and behold, all the officials were sitting there. Elishama, the scribe, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, El-Natan, the son of Akbar, Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. Everybody's there. Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read from the book to the people. I want you to imagine he goes in there and Micaiah says, hey, guys, 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 I just can't. I just heard Jeremiah sent Baruch ben Neriah. You know ben Neriah? You know the guy? He, he had him because he can't go to the house. You remember? He, and he read these words. and he, So he's telling the boys about the scroll. Then all the officials, verse 14, sent Yehudi, the son of Netanyah, who was the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, so now the officials here, and they, they say, well, we've got to go get Baruch. So here, here's what Yehudi says to Baruch. Hey, Baruch, take in your hand the scroll from which you've read to the people and come. I think it was probably like that. Hey, hey, Baruch. Bring your scroll. Let's go. And they said to him, sit down, please, and read to us. So Baruch read it to him. And when they had heard all the words, they turned in fear one to another. And they said to Baruch, we will certainly report all these words to the king. I don't think they said, oh, that's nice. We're going to go tell the king about it. I think they said, hey, let me tell you, Baruch. We're going to report this to the king. You, you went out and you read this to all the people. You got them stirred up. Now we're going to take this to the king. And they asked Baruch saying, hey, tell us, please. How did you write all these words? Was it at Jeremiah's dictation? How did, how did this scroll, this original Jeremiah scroll, this thing you've got here, how did it come into being? And Baruch said to them, He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink on the scroll. That's how it happened. Then the official said to Baruch, 
Now I'm, I'm wondering if they're not kind of on his side a little bit. And why do I say that? Why do I change my mind here? Because they say, go hide yourself. You and Jeremiah, and don't let anyone know where you are. So now we get the idea. I wanted to draw you into the story. Are they going to rat him out to the king? Are they trying to get him in trouble? Or is someone in this group, or is this group on their side? You see, you have to entertain these different angles. Now, watch this, verse 20. Here we go. Everything's good so far. Um, So they came to the king in the courtyard, but they had deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and they reported all the words to the king. Scroll's not with them. And the king sent Yehudi to get the scroll. He said, go get the, you telling me about this. Go get it. Bring it here. I'd like to see it. And he took it out of the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and Jehudi read it to the king, as well as to all the officials who were standing beside the king. Bunch of yes men, bunch of kiss-ups. Now, the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month. It's the ninth month now. With a fire burning before him. And when Yehudi had read three or four columns... You imagine a scroll with columns? He read three or four columns. Listen to this. The king cut it with a scribe's knife, or it says he. It could be Yehudi doing it, uh, but we we get an answer to that in a minute. Uh, When Yehudi had read three or four columns, the king cut it with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire that was in until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was there. And the king and all his servants who heard all these words did not tremble in fear, nor did they tear their garments. Even though Elnatan, Deliah, and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he wouldn't listen to them. So now we've got three good guys. Remember these guys' names. Elnatan, Deliah, and Gamariah. But the king commanded Yaramiel, the king's son, Seriah, the son of Azrael, and Shalamiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord hid them. But the Lord hid them. The original scroll of Jeremiah was destroyed. It was consumed in the fire by the king of Judah, by the name of Jehoiakim, and then if the sin was not grave enough, Jehoiakim said, go get those guys. So they're on the run. They're in hiding. Now, look at verse 27. Then the word of Jehovah came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah's saying. This is what God tells Jeremiah. Ready? Take again another scroll and write on it all the previous words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. See, God, whether it's uh, Yehudi or the king, God condemns the king for it. So I think I get the impression reading the Hebrew closely that Yehudi would read three columns and then he'd cut it. Well, I don't think it was that. I think the scroll was probably about like 
you know, smaller. They, he slid off three columns, and then then this uh, jerk, Yehoiakim, would toss it in the fire. I think they were having fun. <laughs> Here you go. There's for so much for the, your word of the Lord, Jeremiah. Take again another scroll, says Jehovah. Write on it all the previous words are on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say. In other words, add this to your little scroll, Jeremiah. This is what Jehovah says. You burn this scroll, saying, why have you written on it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will make mankind and animals disappear from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be thrown out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will also punish him, his descendants, and his servants for their wrongdoing, and I will bring on them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the people of Judah all the disaster that I have declared to them, but they did not listen. Now, part of what set the king off is revealed. There was something in that original scroll that really got him. And we know what it is. It says it right there. You wrote, Jeremiah wrote that the king of Babylon was going to destroy that place. And that set the king off. Now, look at verse 32. Jeremiah 36. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, the son of Neriah, and he wrote on it, at the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. Here's what the revised edition was. Jeremiah version 2 is described in Jeremiah 36, 32. The revised edition, the newly revised, and it even had that on the cover, newly revised, probably didn't, but it consisted of all the previous works, the words of the Sefer of Jehoiakim, the words that Jehoiakim burned, all those words were in there. And it says, and again were added unto them, this is literally from the Hebrew, and again were added unto them many words like these. Version 2 had more of a punch. So verse 32 tells us that the new revised standard edition was produced also by Baruch ben Neriah at the dictation of Jeremiah. Had everything that was destroyed before, And there was some more added to it. So now we have our work cut out for us, ladies and gentlemen. We have to attempt, based on our present book of Jeremiah, to search and find, step one, traces of the original book of Jeremiah. I'm going to show you the way. This is... Unlike any other book of the Bible, we can reconstruct by deconstructing, 
we can reconstruct what that authentic book looked like. You see how? We can, it's there. If we read, if you don't read the Bible, you can't figure this out. But if we read it, we can determine, discern the earliest strata, but we have to try to put things in chronological order. Not, it's not as difficult as it, must, as it may seem. How do we do that? We begin with the days of Josiah. How much of the book deals with the days of Josiah? You know, recognize that that material is probably not going to change between uh, the authorized original version of Jeremiah and version 2. Why? Because Josiah is dead. In other words, if, we, if we're going back and we want to look at, uh, he's not going to go back most likely and rewrite the parts that dealt with the time of Josiah because that period is over. It's already, it's going to be the same in version 1 and 2. So we have to go back, we have to get the time of Josiah. This is where our study is going next. I'm going to take you into the world of Josiah. I'm going to show you 19 years that we really have to focus on. We've got to get that first because all of that is going to represent part of the original Jeremiah. The 19 years. Uh, then we'll get into the time of Jehoiakim and the time of Sidkiahu leading up to the destruction. But first we have to focus on the 19-year period. From the date of Jeremiah's call, the first hearing of God's word until the death of Josiah. Okay? That's where we have to focus. And what does the Bible say about these 19 years? If we can fill in this gap, this 19-year gap, Uh, then we're well on our way to reconstructing the authentic earliest strata of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, I have to tell you that we're going to do this, God willing. We're going to be entering the world of Josiah next week. Don't miss class number three, of the prophet Jeremiah, join us, same time, same channel, Shabbat Shalom, Shavua Tov.